Thank you, Alan. Let me let me tell you what we're going to do. I'm going to shift what we're going to do for the rest of the fall is that for the next uh, six weeks or so, I'm going to do a series of messages. Alan and I are called Gospel Conversations. Jesus speaking to men and women in the gospel, starting next week with Nicodemus, which is very interesting. Then Alan and I are going to do a message called a series called CSRR, Creation, Fall, Redemption, and Creation. And that's the run-up to Christmas, brothers and sisters, okay? Time flies. So that is what we're going to be doing coming up. But today, we are finishing this series on the parables of the kingdom in which Jesus is revealing the work of his kingdom to his people. And Alan was exactly right. This last one about the teacher of the law bringing out treasures old and new is just one verse. Well, I had some experience with this. Just a few weeks ago, when I was in Maine over the Labor Day weekend with my sister, we decided we need to clean out our house. Now, you see, the, the house in Maine, it, do, it's, it doesn't have a cellar. It's like a big above-ground crawl space. My parents, as I think I told you, bought this house 58 years ago. They bought it. The house is probably over 100 years old. They bought it with a bunch of junk down in the bottom to begin with. And over the last 58 years, we've put our own stuff in this above-ground crawl space. Now, in Alcant, Maine, you don't have trash service. It is up to us to put all the junk in the car and carry it to the place we used to call the dump. Now they call it the transfer station. That sounds better, doesn't it? The tra- where you transfer trash from your house out of the area. So this, and this particular crawl space, and I can't believe this happened again. It's got a door that's about five feet wide. It's really short, and there's this huge. It used to be this big iron pipe that goes to the septic tank, and now it's PVC. For my entire life, I watched my dad just hit his head on this pipe every single time he went in. And so, but I was talking to my sister, and I said, we've got to start cleaning the junk out of the place down there, because I can't even move. I can't get, even get around down there. So I walk in, and I know this. I know not to do this, but I hit my head so hard on this PVC pipe, I fell back and saw stars, and I know that I got a mild concussion. So if I say anything weird today, that's the reason why. But I'm still getting over that one. It's like, why haven't we put a big pad around this ridiculous pipe, which we will do next year? But I'm going through and looking at all the junk in there, and we've got 40-year-old paint cans. Now, you know what happens to a can of paint over 40 years? It becomes a can of concrete. And they're still, yeah, there. I remember using these 40 years ago, and there they are. Old boat engine motor oil, still there from 40 years ago. And I'm thinking, why in the world are these things here? So we pull them out and get them into the car to get them out of there. But then we saw some other things. 
I pick up this big thing, and I have no idea what it is, but I, it weighs about 10 pounds, it's, and it's green, and it's moldy, and it's corroded, and I think, this is awesome. And I'd never seen this thing before, and I looked at it, and I said, this is a 10-pound copper funnel. No, I have no idea what it's used for. I know it wasn't used to put canola oil in your cookie dough. I took it to a collector. He had no idea what it was. It was this big antique. Pete, the only thing I can think of is that it was used to funnel gasoline into a boat engine. That's the only thing I can think of as to what it might be. And then... There's several different bikes there that are rusting out that no one can use, so we're just throwing them out. So we pulled this other one out. Let's get rid of this. It was my sister's bike from 50 years ago, and my neighbor says, wait a minute, don't throw that thing away. That, he restores old cars. He said, that is a Schwinn Breeze. Did anyone ride a Schwinn Breeze? It is a classic Schwinn bike with real metal fenders. He said, don't throw that away. I'll take it. I'll take all the rust off. I'll restore it. I could probably sell that thing to someone for 500 bucks or so or whatever. And I said, you can have it. And so here we are. We're clearing out all of this stuff from the crawl space. Some of it's trash, but a lot of it's treasure. There's the, oh, there's that weed eater that I need that I couldn't find. Some of it's old treasure, the bike and the funnel that are worth something. Oh, there's that lawnmower that I couldn't find. I need to use that to cut the lawn. So we're bringing out old treasure as well as truth, things that are worthwhile and useful for someone. You see, that's the image. Did you pick up the image of the parable? It's about the owner of a house who's bringing treasure out of their storeroom. Have any of you lived in your house a long time and it's time for declutter? There's things in that basement and you have no idea what's there and you don't want to go see. You may find some things that are quite valuable and there's going to be a whole lot of trash. We have a basement full of the remnants of three adult children that we need to declutter at some point. There's those old toys that you just can't use. But there's that Lego set of the Millennium Falcon that Colin McRae is going to want. My nerdy Georgia Tech Star Wars loving son. So you know what this is like. You're decluttering a storeroom. There's treasure in there. Some of it's old. Some of it's new. But you keep it. And this is the image here. Is that a teacher of the law. Let me just read that text again for you because this is fascinating. Any teacher of the law who's become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. What does that mean? Well, let's think about it for a few minutes. And then we'll talk about what that means practically for us. Is that you may remember, of course, that Jesus has used lots of different metaphors in these kingdom parables. Ones that mean a lot to me because I grew up a lot with them. Agriculture, fish in a net, hidden treasures in the pearl, 
a net of fish, the growing seed. Organic metaphors, measures of treasure. Is that Jesus, of course, is the treasure that's hidden in the field. Jesus is the pearl of great value. The gospel is what has been revealed to us in the scriptures, right? Now, many people think, of course, well, the gospel was revealed when Jesus came and talked about himself. That's true enough. But Jesus is saying the treasure comes out of the old as well. The scriptures that we have consist of both the old and the new. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and the new. And it all is and as a teacher of the, of the law, of the scriptures, from Genesis to Revelation, it's my privilege every week to bring to you the treasure of Jesus out of the old and the new. You notice why we have an Old Testament reading and a new in every service? Because we want you to hear the gospel from all of the scriptures, both old and new, because he was present everywhere. And so, in these parables of the kingdom, you've seen the metaphors of the sower and the wheat and the weeds and the hidden treasure and the pearl. All of these images of the harvest and the sea and the tree which, which gave life and a place to eat for the birds who sheltered in it. They were all images from the Old Testament. Jesus came along and said, all of these things are fulfilled in me. I'm the good news. I'm the treasure. I'm the tree in which you take shelter. I'm the pearl of great price, the hidden treasure in the field that people have been longing for for decades. And here's the reason why that's important. You have to put this into the context. Is that the Old Testament people were longing for the coming of the Messiah. They were longing for him to come and restore the glorious Israel that had long been lost and left in the dust. What were they expecting? They were expecting a political kingdom of earth. The throne of David restored. We would kick out the oppressive Romans. We wouldn't have to live under their oppression anymore. We will live in luxury and in political power just like we did when David ruled on his throne. So when Jesus came along, they didn't believe him. They persecuted him because they thought, you're not the kind of Messiah we've been looking for. But that's the point. The tree that represents the kingdom isn't a political kingdom like King Nebuchadnezzar had because it was cut down and the fruit was scattered. The kingdom is now the spiritual kingdom of Jesus as his reign through the gospel captures hearts and minds. And it isn't just for the Jews, but for people of all the nations. We, as Christians, celebrate the Christ of all the scriptures. Treasure that comes out of the old and the new. And we now can see it in a way that perhaps they didn't. You see, you have to, to really understand the scriptures, you have to understand the big picture. Okay, I'm going to take you back to school, okay? 
Did, did any of you ever have a teacher or a professor who droned on and on and on, and who put all kinds of formulas up on the board, and you had no idea what he or she was talking about? Did you have that? We're going to talk about equations today, people. You're falling asleep. What in the world does this have to do with real life if you fall asleep? Well, let me tell you something. When I was in MBA school about, oh, 21 years ago, the first class you take is the most exciting one. It's called statistics. Did any of you have that one? Oh, yeah. There's, there's a winner. We get to talk about bell curves and regression analysis. I don't even remember what half of that is. The best class I've ever had. How does this professor get so passionate about bell curves? I'll tell you why in just a little bit. He gave us the big picture because at every point, he said, I am going to tell you, give you the big picture of why this is so important in real life. And he did. You see, Jesus is speaking to the Old Testament scribes. Now, most of the scribes and the Pharisees probably had the entire Old Testament scriptures memorized. It wouldn't surprise me if they did it all. Thirty-nine books. They very, very likely did. Not only did they have the scriptures memorized, but they knew what these ten different rabbis thought about what the scriptures meant. Rabbi Hillel said this, Rabbi Shammai said this, and of course, they were in endless, endless quarrels and disputes over the finer points of the law. On the Sabbath, you can walk this far, but not this far, or you're breaking the Sabbath, or you can get a divorce for this reason, but not this reason, and it was endless, endless, endless nitpicking over the finer details of the law, which had very little relevance to anyone's life. And Jesus said to them in John 5.39, you study the scriptures diligently, and boy, did they. They would put any of us to shame because you think that in them you have eternal life. But you've missed the big picture. These are the scriptures that testify about They said, oh, no, it's only for us, the Jews. And nobody else gets it, you say so. My vision is to grant that the men and women of all the nations should return to the earth. That is the big picture. You know what it's like? It's kind of like this. You know how much I love movies. And one of my favorites 
is the food dungeon. There's been lots of them over the years. You hear Agatha Christie movies. One of the best is The Usual Suspects. One of the latest one is a movie called Knives Out with Daniel Craig. And the way these movies always go is that for two hours, you're on this adventure. Somebody gets killed early on. And the question is, who done it? Who did it? Well, you think this man or this woman. Everyone has a reason. But you don't know. And you're kept guessing. And you usually can't figure it out. And at the very end, you have what's called the big reveal. Oh, I didn't see that one coming. That person did it. Now I get it. And then what do you do? What do you do? You go back and you watch the entire movie again, right? Because you see the whole thing with different eyes. Oh, I see why that woman is hiding this little knife under the under the door frame or whatever it is. Ah, she's going to use it later. Now I get it. You see the big picture when you understand it. And you see, this is the privilege that we have as believers living on this side of the cross, that we see the gospel more clearly than the Old Testament believers did. It's not that they didn't see it, but we see it ever so much clearly because we've seen the big reveal that Jesus is the center of the scriptures. It's not about the restoration of a political kingdom, but it is the revelation of a crucified, risen Messiah who would give his life for men and women of all the nations as his kingdom expands to the ends of the earth. And you see, in that wonderful passage that Alan read from Luke 24, that is exactly what's going on. And this is one of those passages that's just so wonderful to dig into because it is talking about their discovery of this new treasure that they didn't see before. Because you'll remember that Jesus had been ministering. He was crucified on the cross, and he was put in the grave. And there's two disciples walking from Jerusalem on the road to Emmaus. One of them is named Cleopas. The other is unnamed. We don't know who it is. Maybe it was his wife. Don't know. But they're leaving, and they're just baffled as to what happened. And Alan pointed out that this is that Jesus is very playful in the way he would deal with his disciples. He appears to them, but he's hidden from their eyes. They don't know who it is. And he says, what are you talking about? Of course you know. Well, what are you talking about? Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know? Where have you been? Have you had your head in the sand? Are you the only one who hasn't seen all the tumult that's happened in Jerusalem? And Jesus said, oh, tell me about it. What thing? Okay, here you go. Think you don't know? Here's what happened. Think about Jesus of Nazareth, the man who's been ministering in our territory for the last three years, preaching, doing miracles. You haven't heard of him? He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed. 
People were amazed at his miracles, and the chief priests handed over him over, and he was crucified. Then they put him in a tomb. So we thought, well, I guess we were mistaken. That's the end of it. But then some of our sisters, some of the women who followed him with us, they went to the tomb. He wasn't there. They had a vision of angels who said he was alive. And they didn't see Jesus there at all. So they're recounting what happened, and they're just this wasn't what we expected. All of our hopes had been dashed. Because we thought that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel and kick out the Romans and restore us to the power that we haven't had for hundreds and hundreds of years. And our hopes had been dashed. Here come these words. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now in his life, that is the conversation this person had. As Jesus spoke to them about how the scriptures spoke of him in the law of Moses, in this case, the law of Moses and, and the prophets, which was shorthand to refer to all of the Old Testament scriptures. We get an idea because the New Testament brings out many of the Old Testament passages that come from Jesus. But this is the privilege that we have living in this day at this time is that Jesus, in a greater way, has revealed himself to the scriptures. And that's why it's so important that we are people of all of the scriptures. Because I think that functionally, many Christians simply use about maybe 25% of the Bible. See, the Bible consists of how many books? Genesis to Revelation is six. 39 in the Old Testament, and 7 in the New. And a lot of people look at the Old Testament and say, eh, that's a different religion. Maybe a few moral examples back there, but what all those sacrifices, what does that have to do with me? And then they look at the book of Revelation, and it's kind of science fiction. And functionally, we have a book, maybe a Bible, maybe of 26 books, but no. Every verse of the scripture points us to Jesus in one way or another. This is the big reveal that is all found in him. He's the treasure. And it is for us to bring it out, to learn it, to understand it, to teach it to one another because it's treasure old and new. There's a lot of examples that I could give you, but when Alan and I do the sermon on creation, fall, redemption, and restoration, we're going to talk about the gospel from Genesis 1 through 3. That's about as far back as you can go, right? That is the beginning. 
That's as far back as you can go. The gospel is there. And what you ought to do sometimes is, if you haven't done it, take a read through the book of James. It's narrative. It's interesting. The typical way of looking at it is thinking, oh, I think I'm going to find some good examples of how to live in that book. You will find it's quite a bit different. The gospel, of course, was revealed to Abraham when he was told that he would be and his seed would be a blessing to all the nations. He was the one to whom the gospel promise came, but he was a cowardly liar who gave away his wife, not once, but twice, to a ruler who wanted to make her part of his harem. Ooh. And then you have Jacob, the father of the patriarchs. He's a lying thief and a favoritistic father. Oh, there's Joseph. We saw the musical, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Follow your dreams. He's a spoiled brat. His 11 brothers are so jealous. They say, let's kill him. Ah, let's be nice. Let's just sell him off into slavery. That's a better idea. Don't you think? He gets carried off into Egypt, and they tell their father, ah, Joseph was killed, and they lie to their father, and they keep the cover-up 20 years. And you realize as you read through this, this, there's not a whole lot worth writing about. There's a lot of pathetic, selfish, murder, adultery, lying behavior going on. And when you look at it, you say, mm, I'm okay. I am okay. I'm alive. I'm not. But you know what the message is? Keep going. He's going to do people just like that because in the Scripture, Jesus is prominent. And then one that is a little bit more familiar that we read was the Israelite Joseph enslaved in Egypt. God's going to deliver them with a mighty hand, and you have the Passover feast. Take a good lamb, a perfect lamb, shed the blood, put it over your doorpost, eat it, eat it in haste, because you're going to be running away. And the angel of death comes and takes the firstborn of all the Israelites, but if you had to pour the blood over your doorframe, it's worth the firstborn who's spared. The message And by the way, the Jews still celebrate the Passover today. And many don't see Jesus in it, but he's there. You must be saved by the blood of a lamb. And every week in our communion liturgy, we celebrate and we say, Because when we come to him and hear his word and come to the table and feed on him, we are feeding on Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who was present everywhere in the Old Testament scriptures, revealed more fully in the New. He's our life. He's what we eat and drink. We have no life other than him. And when the disciples hear this Bible study, he disappears into the night, out of their sight, and he 